Welcome to episode 62 of the Brown and Black podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. We're closing in on Halloween. That's next week. We're going to have a Halloween episode for our listeners here in America and throughout uh, the world that are listening to us. Halloween is a very cool time. In next week's episode, we have a true, nice, special horror. (laughs) But I remember growing up, you know, (laughs) Halloween back when I was a kid throwing eggs. We were egg bombing people in New York City. I'm not sure if you went through that, but. Uh, No, I was civilized as a child. (laughs) So you're saying I was an animal back then. Yes, clearly. (laughs) It was fun, though, I do have to say. A lot of stuff to talk about this week, Mike. Um, we decided that we're not going to do an interview today this week because we just wanted to bond, connect, just talk, just like, like some raw conversations. We want to do this once once a month because it's healthy for us, right? Absolutely. I, and I don't think it's it's like reconnecting. It's remembering who I'm doing the show with outside of whoever we have as, as a guest. That's right. And so this brings us to this conversation. Uh, two things. Breaking news. I'm not sure if you guys uh, know about this, but Alec Baldwin shot and killed a cinematographer on a set of a Western film called Rust. Nobody knows exactly when it happened or how it happened, but people are going, so hold on a second. This reminds me a lot of the Brandon Lee, the Crow incident that seems like one of those unresolved mysteries. Mike, you're a filmmaker. There was a prop firearm that has killed not only Brandon Lee, but now the cinematographer uh, who was 42 years old. Uh, It was a woman. And Mike, how how do things like this happen? Like if you're a film director, if you're a filmmaker, a producer, a prop person, I mean, there's a whole team when when Brandon Lee died, I always thought that someone wanted him dead. You know, you started hearing all these conspiracy theories that somebody sneaked in a bullet because they wanted this to happen. Is this what happened here, you think? I don't I don't think so. It, it, what's interesting about this, I mean, I think by the time this airs, there will have been more of an investigation uh, into exactly what happened, just like what happened with Brandon Lee. So I have to comment on how the media has portrayed it. They called it a misfire. And I don't know how you call it a misfire, because it's not a misfire, it's a prop gun. So when you're handling a prop gun, you don't feel it's going to go off or hurt anybody. It might make a sound. So on a film set, there's something called a property master. And it is under the property master's purview to make sure all the props are ready the way they're supposed to be. I shot a film this summer, and I had there was a debate over whether or not there's one character, this is, I don't want to give away too much of the movie, one character who has a knife stuck through the back of his neck and out his mouth. Oh, man. Right. Now. <laughs> Sick. Fuck <laughs> you, man. I didn't write that part. But <laughs> but the point is that to do that effect, you have to have somebody have a prop knife that is going to be in their mouth and then blood that's got to come out and they got to bite down on one end of the prop knife. And there are all these things. Now, the thing is, if this actor in the case of acting uh, stumbles and he's got, you know, fake blood in his mouth and he's got this prop knife, even if it's made of rubber, it's still got a sharp edge. You know, anything could happen. He could be performing and trip, fall, and then what? And when I asked originally the prop person who was making my props about making it, he didn't want to make it. He didn't want to take the risk. 
So, yeah. So now we had a different guy. Our effects guy ended up doing it. And he said, oh, this is simple. Da, da, da. He, he, he kind of poo-pooed it. But once I was on set and I saw it happen, the problem, and I, and I say the problem, but the issue is, and this is why it costs so much insurance when you make a film, is that things happen. You know, people do get killed. People do have injuries. I mean, I don't know if you remember. Yeah, there was stunt people, you know. There's stunt people all the time, right? So, you know, some people are stunt people, and then they have one accident on set, and they're paraplegics for the rest of their life. It, it is a risk. People don't think of making a film as risky, but there is always a risk because there's always that factor of human error. Yeah, but Mike, this is a gun, a prop fake gun, you know, like that a kid would use, you know, something along those lines. It's not supposed to kill anybody. So how does something like this happen? It, is it a bullet that someone snuck in? Because this is like the first thing that pops into my mind. How does a blank kill someone? That's a really good question. Again, it, it, it's a prop firearm. So Brandon Lee's had the same kind of situation. It shouldn't have gone off. It shouldn't have been a deadly weapon. I know you don't watch too much Netflix, but Dave Chappelle uh, and Ted Sarandis seem like they're married <laughs> on a specific issue of artistic freedom that's been happening. So here's what's going on. Looks like Netflix ended up paying 20 some odd million dollars to Dave Chappelle to do a show, a stand up comedy show called The Closer. And in The Closer, Dave Chappelle once again starts creating some rhetoric around offending trans people and the LGBTQ plus community has gone a little crazy about this. Like, Hey, what's going on? They're blaming Netflix for allowing this type of quote unquote artistic freedom to happen. They're going after Dave Chappelle because it looks like he's a transphobic. So as an ally of the trans community, hundreds of people walked out just this past week and Ted had to go on a apology tour saying I screwed up but I'm not taking the show away well if you're not taking the show away you're not really apologizing and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on uh, on the bigger picture here Mike who's controlling the narrative is it the media is it the company is it the artist or is it social media yeah first of all I just the update here is that Dave Chappelle said he's willing to talk to the employees that were angered by the closer. I, I think- Yeah, but what does that do? What does that do? You already said it. It's already a hit stand-up comedy show. And Netflix, Ted Sarandis, they're all defending it internally, saying, calling it this artistic freedom. Again, you say, what does that do? Okay, well, what does it do if he doesn't meet with them? What does it do if he doesn't use this as an opportunity to learn, to change, to understand, to, to realize, to maybe relate? There, there are critics about this who talk about freedom of speech, who talk about comedy, talk about PC police, talk about cancel culture. These are all legitimate concerns. Even I've read in, in as they say, black social media, how he could get on stage. He had a show where he said, you know, the N word a bazillion times. Nobody said anything because that's acceptable. 
You know, it's acceptable for us to make fun of ourselves. It's acceptable for Jews to make fun of Jews, Blacks to make fun of Blacks, Latinos to make fun of Latinos. It happens in humor all the time. But if you go after another group, are you racist? Are you sexist? Are you are you transphobic? You know, it is a legitimate conversation. It is not black and white, in my opinion. Now, that being said, what is black and white is the money. <laughs> no, the money's green, baby. Yeah, the money's green. And that, that <laughs> all right, that that is clear that Ted Sarandos cares about eyeballs. He cares about views. He cares about Netflix being in the papers. Now, does he want to get control? You asked about the narrative, who's in control? I think what we're seeing is, and this is what we've seen, this is what we've learned throughout the pandemic and in the last three years, is that social media does control the narrative. There are things that Bill Cosby, for years, it, the accusations came and went, accusations came and went, but all of a sudden social media got a hold of it from some obscure set this comedian most people never heard of said, and it took fire. So what the control of the narrative, I think there are lots of people trying to grab the reins, but they're wild horses. You don't know where it's going to go. I'm surprised this had the legs it did. But now you see it becomes a touch point. It's a major issue, but that's the good part to me. The good part is, yeah, we do need to discuss this. We do need to look at this. We do need to have a conversation about what's acceptable, what does cause violence, because you also saw humor. And this is uh, the biggest point to me. Humor is really perspective. I find your perspective funny, or maybe I find your perspective offensive. This woman, uh, this teacher, I'm sure you read about, who got like, dressed up like a quote unquote Native American. So In 2021, right. in class, after you've been hearing everything from Floyd onward, after Black Lives Matter, after everything that's happened, white supremacy being exposed, and you being a white person in a diverse classroom, and the first thing you do is put on a feather hat and start dancing. And and here's the port. She thought it was funny. Mike, explain people like that to me. After everything that's been happening in the last two years, how does someone not watch that and and not feel like they're a part of that 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 issue as a white person? They have a photo of her from 2012 in the school yearbook wearing that exact same headdress. OK, now, a that means this is always who she's been mocking Native Americans, saying how their culture and everything about them is stupid, praying to anything more than one God is stupid. All the things she was saying and encompassing, she is literally mocking a culture, okay? But she's been mocking this culture for years, okay? Halloween, Halloween's around the corner. How many quote unquote, dress up like a cowboy and an Indian costumes have there been from, you know, since the time they had Halloween costumes? So what does it mean if you dress up as the Indian? quote unquote. What does that mean? And, and what do you do when you dress up as the Indian? Quote unquote. 
You hoot and holler and you do the stupidity she's doing. So mocking Native Americans is part of the fabric of our culture, as is mocking or trying to hold back gays, people of color, trans people. That's just part of the fabric of our culture. And even if you're a comedian who speaks truth to power, because that's what Dave Chappelle is known to, even he still maybe needs to check himself. One thing that I do have to say is that comedy just isn't the same anymore. And I'm not going back to like, you know, the lap slapstick comedy of Will Ferrell. I mean, we are in the Lenny Bruce sort of category of comedy today. But let's be honest. I mean, look, Trevor Noah has gone out on tour. He has sold out every single place. They've had to add new dates. Hassan Minhaj is out on tour currently, and he's had to open up new dates. So it seems like people want to go see a comedy show. Chappelle's selling out. Chappelle's The Closer is one of the most, I think, watched shows along with Squid Game that Netflix has in terms of stand-up comedy. So where do you see comedy today? What kind of comedy do people want, Mike? I don't see comedy as being any different. I do think we're in a golden age of comedy in terms of, like you said, the Lenny Bruce age where comedians and their quote-unquote perspective is relevant. Because what comedians can do is make us look at ourselves. What comedians can do is make us laugh at a difficult truth, okay? I haven't seen the special, but from everything I've heard that, you know, you understand where Dave's coming from, even if it maybe is offensive. You know, if a comedian gets on stage and makes a whole bunch of jokes about women, right? But every guy in the audience, and even women can say, whoa, that is kind of true. It's offensive. Is it sexist? You know, what it really comes down to is, is it funny? And then, like you asked, what do people want? I think there are people who would have always gone to see Chevy Chase over Richard Pryor. There are comedians who never made me laugh or even chuckle, but they have great careers. Humor is cultural, it's generational, it's referential, it's humor is different things to different people. There are people like if I said, hey, uh, I've got tickets to go see um, X person, you'd be like, nah, he's not my cup of tea. But if I said, oh, I got tickets for so-and-so, you're like, oh my God, yes. I laughed so hard I cried. And it all depends on the type of comedy that's being put out there. And the audience, you know, the the irony here for Netflix for me is that Netflix has also done more programming for gays, trans, people of color than any network in history and in a very short amount of time. So, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, you know, so, (laughs) so yeah, you know, you, you can't expect to do what you could have done 20 years ago, or in 2012, worn the fake Indian headdress and get away with it the same as you can today, because people have the ability to be vocal, to say something about it. So people, I think we have the ability to control the narrative a lot more than we think. Well, while Netflix employees are trying to cancel David Chappelle, let's see if subscribers to Netflix will cancel Netflix. Please, you know that ain't happening. Well, Mike, changing gears really quick, the box office, the top 10 movies out right now are the following. Number one, Halloween Kills as of this moment, October 22nd, as we're recording. Number two, No Time to Die. 
Number three, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Number four, The Addams Family 2, an animated show. The Last Duel, a complete flop from Ridley Scott, Matt Damon, and Ben Affleck. Shang-Chi at number six, uh, with already $217 million worldwide. Hans Larak, never heard of this movie. Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds, based on the video game. Lamb, which I have not heard of, and Most Eligible Bachelor, which I have not heard of. Mike, what do you make of moviegoers' tastes in, in, in watching movies nowadays? It seems like if you're a familiar franchise right now and a horror movie, it's going to be good for you. Dune just came out on HBO Max. I have not been able to see it. I think you saw it already. Uh, when did you see it, by the way? I actually went on Monday. They invited me to an IMAX screening, and I said, Look at I you, said, you know what? keeping it a secret, huh? Hey, Jack, I don't go to movie theaters. I don't, you know, man. I'm, I'm gone. gone. I'm gone. Well, how do you explain this then? Because it was Dune. You know, I read <laughs> Dune in high school. I mean, I was, I was a Dune fan. I watched the Sci-Fi Channel movies. I read the books. I wanted it to be good, and it was kind of coming full circle for me to see this. I have a lot of thoughts on it. I don't want to spoil it for you. I'm amazed that they say they're going to do a sequel. but Haven't they broken the film into two parts, much like the way they did with Harry Potter? I, I think it's more like three, because this first film only gets to like a third of the book. But yeah, it's oh, at wow. least two parts. But I mean, yeah, they're smart. I mean, there are tons of books. Frank Herbert wrote like four or five, and then his son started writing. So there are like a dozen Dune books out there. Well, let me ask you this really quick. We're not going to do like a review of Dune just yet. Maybe we we wait for it for next week or something. But I did want to ask, Timothy Chalamet as the star of Dune, is he the real deal or not? Yeah, he he has some clunky dialogue to get over, but he pulls it together in in the in the more clearer emotional scenes. Yes, he's 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 good. He's all right. So between science fiction and IP franchises that are action, you know, Marvel films and horror films, what is it about us that keep on going to the theaters for these types of content? Because Here's my opinion, man. I don't think original films will ever be successful at the box office again. I think if they don't carry some sort of already following for years, uh, like video games being adapted to films or uh, franchises, things that people are familiar with that they want to be a part of, like Matrix 4, this is perfect for America. But what's going to happen to the original movie? The theatrical release? Are independent films and original films just meant for streaming and big IP franchises or horror films for theater? Is that where we're going to? Well, I think yes and no. I, I think that, ye, you know, when you say like, you know, nothing's going to make money unless it's tied to an IP, I, I think that that's how a lot of Hollywood thinks. You know, you just witness a slate of films coming out any given year. It's remakes, reboots, sequels, and and way too many, way too much. So, on the one hand, I think that that is a prevalent thinking in Hollywood. On the other hand, I think what Netflix, ironically, and other platforms and streaming has done, uh, and, and we've seen it reflected in the Academy Awards, is make people open to different kinds of stories, stories from different cultures, stuff we haven't seen before. The fact that the top 10 movies are out and three of them you never even heard of, I guarantee they're probably foreign films or films by filmmakers you never heard of. This is a time where the playing field has been leveled. Hollywood is racing to, to change that, but it's been leveled. You know, you can be Squid Game 
and come out of nowhere and beat out everything from the last 50 years of television. Uh, and it's in another language. So, But what does that say about our tastes for movies? These top 10 films is a reflection of the popularity that these films have with people and what people want to see. So you're telling me that science fiction, for the most part, Mike, is about escapism. And horror is about a form of escapism that feels, you know, distant, but real enough that I know it's not dangerous, but it gives me all the thrill rides I want. So what is it that we're saying with these top 10 films? I think we're saying what you just said. We want escapism and we want a thrill. Horror movies are in a renaissance as well. We're having some of the best horror movies we've ever had. You know, there's still plenty of crap out there, but some there have been some great horror movies in the last five years. So I think horror has is in a new era. But again, the reason historical black dramas, for instance, never make money is because everybody's uncomfortable when they watch it. Black people, white people, everybody's uncomfortable. Nobody wants to relate to this is their ancestors, the good ones or the impoverished ones. But escapism you look at the top 20 films of all time most money making it's all fantasy horror science fiction animated it's all escapist that's why we go to the movies we just want to get the hell out of reality then what does that say about reality it says that reality sucks so then why did we design it like that ah now i'll ask you a question i'll ask you the question it'll answer the same way why is the big resignation happening (laughs) okay to me the great resignation is happening it's because the system was built under a capitalistic framework of just making money at the cost of the lives of the worker this elitist mentality which was a very transactional relationship you know it was it was a hypocrite relationship from the get-go it's like you are cattle I am king queen. This is Game of Thrones. You are the peasants. You are the peons. You're garbage. You're animals. You will work. You will sweat. Yeah, yeah. Here's your hundred thousand dollar that you need for to be middle class to live the life that you want. But you will get a heart attack. Your cholesterol will go up. Your nervous system will melt down. Your stress will will, will take you and 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 just convert it into cancer. You will die. And, and they don't care because they're making money and, and then their, their heir is going to make money. So the employees after COVID said, you know, the worst thing that could have happened was for you to give us time to realize how great life can be without work or with this type of work. So now it's quality of life versus money. And I think that people went extreme with the money, you know, greed is good, make as much money as you can, sort of American culture lifestyle, to now, I love my kids. I love my wife. I want to be at home. I want to be in my PJs as I work. This is great. I can be probably even more productive than I've been before because I'm happy to be around this great energy here and be able to provide work that I'm proud of, right? I think there's this melding, people coming to the center to to create a sweet spot between quality of life and work. But how is this country, though? How is corporate America going to allow that to happen? People want more money. Then that means I'm going to have to go internationally to India, to Vietnam, to China, to South America to make more money on behalf of cheap work. It's going to be a really interesting time. 2024 is coming. Trump supposedly is going to be running again. Republicans are thinking about whether this 
he's the right guy for 2024 or not. But whoever the next president's going to be, Mike, whoever it is, is going to have to face the challenge of corporate America capitalism and the new uprising middle class that's coming. People are flush with money. The PPP, the unemployment, the savings, uh, the extra checks, they're flush right now. So 10 million jobs available, 4 million people uh, walked out. Mike, how? what is going to be the identity of America when it comes to the workforce in 2024 and beyond? Well, I just want to steer it back to your question here uh, because I love and agree with everything you said. But the answer to the question you asked me is the very same answer that you just gave me. You know, how do we let it come to this? How is it our society is this way? Answer always is the same. Why was there an opioid crisis? Why is there a housing crisis? Why is there an environmental crisis? Why are we living through all these crises? It's all because of capitalism. You know, it's all because people who have the money value them having more than they do the rest of humanity. And that's why people are quitting their jobs. That's why people resign it because they've gotten used to a shitty life. And the only thing they could look forward to is some escapist fare. But when they realize that they didn't have to do that anymore, they said, I'm out of here. And it'll be interesting to see if we come to a place of happiness, that sweet spot between quality of life and work, if our tastes for the stories we watch on the screen change along with it. Because this idea of just sci-fi and horror being the top 10, man... I don't know if that's the case in Paris. I don't know if that's the case in China. I don't know if that's the case in Argentina. I think if you look at the top 10 box office of every country, it probably reflects the social environment or the social ecosystem of the tastes and interests and problems going on in that country. For us, it's we hate our current reality and we just want to get the fuck out of here. The essence of storytelling is for us to be able to relate you know, but at the same time, we only want to relate, but so much. Well, with that said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we will finish the episode here. Thanks for joining us next week. We're going to be doing a special Halloween horror episode with brown, black horror films like we did last year. I like the episode we did last year. Uh, where we mentioned uh, several black and brown uh, horror films. There's some really good ones this year, and we're going to be talking to a few people about why people want to escape into horror. Oh, and by the way, if you guys have any recommendations of some great horror films uh, that are brown or black that you've seen in the last five, ten years, please send it to us via Twitter at the Brown Black Podcast Twitter account that we have, or you could reach out to us at the Brown Black Podcast on Instagram as well. We would love to see what recommendations you have. That's it for this 62nd episode of Brown and Black. If you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. This episode was edited by Joshua Tirado. If you would like to reach out to us, you can reach out to us at Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you next week for our Halloween episode of Brown and Black.
Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro. 